We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, October the 31st, 2019, and on today's show, I preview the Gamecocks game against the Vanderbilt Commodores on Saturday night. I break down the top storylines, key matchups to watch, keys to the game, and much, much more. Also, some news and notes to get to, your listener questions, and a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks defensive lineman Eric Sullivan that I know that you're sure to enjoy. Before we get into everything, this is a podcast for you by our friends. Over at Manscaped. Guys, Manscaped, the number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. As we all know, it is Halloween, and happy Halloween to you all. They nickname it Spooky Season, right? Well, you know what's really, really spooky? A dude who doesn't take care of himself below the belt. There's nothing worse. A girl, there's nothing worse than a guy who doesn't take care of himself below the belt, doesn't have the right tools for the job. You nick yourself, you cut yourself. We've all been in that situation. You start bleeding, it hurts, it burns. It's the worst possible thing that can happen. And also, you need your own specific razor and your own specific tools for this job. Because the last thing you want to do is be cutting your pubes with the same trimmer that you use on your face. That's disgusting. Don't do that. Manscaped's awesome. They have, an, they have redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 is proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. Guys, I've been using it. It's a game-changer. I already tell you guys, it's a game-changer. It's a must-have. We're coming up on the holidays. This is a must-have, a must-need, a must-get for either yourself or one of your friends. Ladies, if you're listening, you want to get your man something, fellas, you need this in your rotation. You need this in your rotation. Your wife, your girlfriend, the girl you're trying to get with, she will thank you later. I promise you, she will thank you. Manscaping accents are finally a thing of the past. They've also got the crop preserver and anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. Listen, you already put deodorant in your armpits, right? Before you go out, you already do that. Why not put a deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? It only makes sense. I'm also going to say right now, they've got a fantastic cologne, um, that they throw in as well, that is phenomenal. I mean, I did not expect the cologne to smell as good as it does, and it is, it is, is unbelievable. I mean, it, it is like a top dollar, a high-class cologne, very, very nice stuff. Again, guys, don't be going around using the wrong stuff, using the wrong tools. You, you got to manscape. You got to look good. You, you got to be feeling good. You look good. You feel good. You feel good. You play good. And if you play good, they pay good, right? Like Dion said. So make sure you have the right stuff. Go to manscaped.com. Use the promo code GAMECOX. You're going to get 20% off plus free shipping. Again, that's manscaped.com, promo code GAMECOX. 
20% off, guys, and they give you free shipping. I mean, this stuff is already inexpensive, but they're going to give you 20% off and free shipping with the promo code Gamecocks. It's really that simple. So, like I said, go to manscaped.com. Use the promo code Gamecocks. Get 20% off plus free shipping. Always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you later. Let's get into it. I'm Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show, as always. It is Vanderbilt Week. Welcome, everyone, to episode 147, and a happy Halloween to you all. Uh, I know it is Halloween. I'll be, on, I'll be perfectly honest with you guys. I don't know if you're dressing up, you're going trick-or-treating with the kids, if you got them, if you're going out to a Halloween party tonight, whatever you're doing. I'm not a huge Halloween guy. I, it's, it's just, It's okay. I don't mind it. It's fun. Not my favorite holiday, though. Not a big dressing up guy either. I don't know what it is. Um, but either way, happy Halloween to you all. Um, should be a lot of fun. Go eat yourself some candy. You have the excuse to splurge. Uh, yeah, so happy Halloween, everyone. Um, before we get into everything, obviously it is Vanderbilt week. Some housekeeping items to get to really quickly. If you haven't done so, first off, thank you to everyone that has. But rate, subscribe, share, and download the Spurs Up Show, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Wherever you're listening to the podcast, click the pause button right now. Go leave a five-star review. Go leave a review with your feedback. Tell me what you like, what you don't like. I appreciate all the feedback, obviously, and love to hear from you guys. Love to hear from the listeners and truly, truly, truly appreciate all your support. It means a lot. So, again, go rate, rate the show. Go give a review. And if you're not subscribed, click the subscribe button. I mean, if you're already listening, why not click the subscribe button? You'll get the alerts and notifications that the show has popped up. Also, go subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you like listening to podcasts on YouTube, the, the, uh, the podcast is there as well. Really, really cool stuff. I'm going to be adding some new video content. I'm going to be bringing the video content kind of back, if you will. Obviously, you guys have seen probably been slacking on that just a little bit, just because trying to get the podcast stuff going, get the daily shows going. But the video content will be back. So be sure to go subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. Just search the Spurs Up show. You're going to see it there. Um, I already said this on the Wednesday show, but the merch Spurs Up Show merch now available at Palmetto Moon. Should be across all locations across the state of South Carolina. Very exciting stuff. Be sure to go check that out. Support the cause. Helensky's Hope stuff in there with the Spurs Up Show. The Forever to Three shirts. A brand new US Three shirt. A brand new Forever to Three shirt. The Viva Garcia tees are in there as well. Going to be bringing the, uh, the stuff that's not on the website to the website, going to be getting inventory as well. So I know you guys are asking, where can I get the black Forever to Three shirt? When I, where can I get the US Three Getting inventory, I'm going to have those on the, on the website, and that'll be the first pieces where I actually have inventory where I can ship to you guys, and it's going to make life for me and for you guys much, much, much easier, but I appreciate the support there. Go grab some pieces if you don't mind. Um, lastly, I talked about this again on the Wednesday show. There is a tipping feature on the Red Circle platform, which is the hosting platform of the Spurs Up show. I'm really excited about this because, obviously, I'm not putting my content behind a paywall. But if you're listening to this podcast and you feel ever so inclined to, you know, make a donation, if you will, um, it can be a one-time thing. You can set it to be a monthly thing. Wherever you're listening to the show, there's going to be a link in there that says support this podcast or whatever it says. If you click that link, it'll take you straight to it again. I like the feature because it's something, hey, if you want to give out of the, the kindness of your heart, I obviously certainly appreciate it. But you guys know my content will never be behind a paywall. This is not Patreon. This is just an option for you guys to make donations or help the calls. I mean, obviously this stuff is not free, but <laughs> no, either way, I, if you guys want to do it, it's fine. If not, it's fine. But I just want to let everyone know 
make you all aware. Um, something I think really cool that Red Circle does for its, uh, for its podcasts that are on its platform. So I just want to make you guys aware. All right, let's get into it. Vanderbilt weekend. Gamecocks taking on the Commodores. 7.30 kickoff on SEC Network at Williams-Brice Stadium. South Carolina opening this one as a 16-point favorite. That has since dropped to 15 and a half. But Gamecocks still over a two-touchdown favorite. Over-under set at 50 and a half. Um, the series history in this one is it's kind of interesting, if you will, because South Carolina leads the series 24-4. and four. Gamecocks have won 10 straight in this series. And, I mean, when you think about that, South Carolina, I feel like at some point, especially with the recent losing streak to Kentucky, South Carolina has struggled against every SEC team at some point except for Vanderbilt. I mean, even to the 2015 season and – these first couple Will Muschamp teams and, you know, Spurrier's teams that were less than stellar. I mean, the Gamecocks have won 10 straight against these guys. 10 straight. I mean, Gamecocks looking for their 11th straight win over Vanderbilt. For whatever reason, for whatever reason Vanderbilt cannot figure out South Carolina. A lot of the games have been close. I mean, Vanderbilt has given South Carolina, um, you know, some fairly competitive games. I know last year, last year was, was the one – Felt like for the first time in a while, it wasn't really competitive all that much. But these have been some competitive back-and-forth games for sure. But the Gamecocks, for whatever reason, 24-4 and in the series, going for their 11th straight win. Again, I talked about last time they met was last year. South Carolina went to Nashville and won 37-14 to in pretty convincing fashion. It could have been a lot worse if not for a couple of turnovers late in that football game. Um, injury report going into Saturday's game. Rico Dowdle, Dylan Wanham, A.J. Turner, and Damani Staley all out for Saturday's game. Um, Sidarius Hutcherson and Ernest Jones will be ready to go per head coach Will Muschamp. We'll have to see what he says on his Thursday call-in show about any further injuries, but that's all we know right now. Uh, breaking down the Vanderbilt Commodores really quickly, head coach Derek Mason. Commodores sit at 2-5 and five overall, 1-3 and three in the SEC, wins over Northern Illinois and Missouri. That was the one a couple weeks ago that really surprised a lot of people. I mean, really took it to Mizzou, and it looked really impressive, but then Mizzou goes to Kentucky and gets their asses beat. So I don't know how impressive – Just I don't know just how impressive of a win it was, but either way, a huge upset win that Vanderbilt was able to secure. Uh, losses to Georgia, Purdue, LSU, Ole Miss, and UNLV. That's the one that stings for Vanderbilt fans, that loss to UNLV. That one hurts. Let's jump into these storylines um, because this game to me – you know, over a two-touchdown favorite, I don't think any South Carolina fan is going into this one, though, overconfident or, you know, just because of South Carolina's lost two straight games, and that's kind of where I'm going to start. This game is all about how does Carolina bounce back. That's really all this game comes down to. Listen, I think you ask any South Carolina fan, I would hope they'd say this, the Gamecocks have a more talented football team than Vanderbilt. At this point, no doubt, the Gamecocks have a more talented football team than the Vanderbilt Commodores. But how does USC bounce back from, you know, you beat Georgia. It's been a crazy couple weeks. You beat Georgia and Athens. You go toe-to-toe with Florida for three quarters and then lose in that game. But, you know, you look good doing it. You think you turn a corner. And then you get really just slapped around in Knoxville. How does this team respond to the adversity that it's going through? You know, do we see a team that comes out Saturday night fired up, ready to lay it, the Vanderbilt comes out with a bad attitude and, you know, runs away with this one? Or do we see a team – do we see more of the same like what we saw in Knoxville? I mean, the Gamecocks coming off of a, you know, stretch or, if you will, the second half of Tennessee, you got, you got shut out 24 to nothing. Outscored 24 to nothing in that one. South Carolina is going to need to start fast and really get that bad taste out of its mouth. Um, so, I'll be curious to see just how the Gamecocks bounce back in this one because it could go one or two ways. Again, I think you can come out 
with energy, come out fired up, you know, really take it to Vanderbilt? Or again, do we see a team that is sluggish, that is sort of feeling down on itself? I'll be curious to see. That kind of feeds into my next storyline, though, which I don't know that USC fans are really concerned about this team starting fast. But one of the biggest storylines for sure of this season is the second half woes. I mean, this is a team that, for whatever reason, cannot get out of its own way in the second half. Um, like I said, you get outscored 24 to nothing last week in the second half. Uh, there's been other, you know, scenarios as well where UNC, you didn't ha- have a strong second half. Um, Alabama, you know, uh, Florida fourth quarter. So can this team put together four full quarters is really what it comes down to. Because I think the Gamecocks, honestly, will come out fired up. I think they will come out ready to play. I think there will be a lot of energy. You know, homecoming, it's a night game. I do think it'll be a packed house just because of that aspect with the night game and homecoming. But it's not really about how quickly this team comes out. It's can they sustain it in the third and fourth quarter? Because I'm going to tell you guys, if you don't win the fourth quarter, like on the scoreboard, if you don't win the fourth quarter, most of the times you don't win the football game. I mean, there's not many times where you're going you're gonna to get outscored in the fourth quarter and win. So what does South Carolina change? What do they do differently to make sure that doesn't happen again? Because it's becoming a disturbing trend to see them get outplayed as badly as they have in the second half. So I I know that's something South Carolina fans, I know including myself, keeping a major eye on as far as how does this team come out in the second half? I mean, what's going to change to change that up? What needs to change? What is going on at halftime that is – you know, hindering this team from playing its best football in the second half. Like, I don't understand. I don't think any of us understand, but it's got to change. That's got to change starting Saturday night. We'll see what happens. You know, another big storyline for me, and this is going to be every week probably, it's Ryan Helensky. You know, everyone, he has not played his best football. Ryan Helensky, I don't think it's any secret. He has not looked like himself since, you know, the injuries to his elbow early on after Bama and then the injury to his knee, you know, against Georgia. Obviously, this is a kid that's been getting beat up. You know, no question. He's been getting beat up. But do we see him kind of start to come back to himself? You know, the Gamecocks need him to. I mean, Ryan Holinsky's got to play better. I know he's hurt. I'm not dogging him saying that. It's, I think it's just a fact. Like, he's got to play better. We, I mean, South Carolina's got to figure out what they can do with him or, you know, something to get him going because hurt or not, you know, he is the option they have. It doesn't seem like they want to put the carry on joiner in. I know he's been fighting that hamstring injury, but they're pretty set on keeping Ryan in, which I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm all for that. I just want him to be healthy. But, you know, is this the week that he sort of kind of finds his groove again? You know, because Ryan Holinsky, in my opinion, has got the ability and the talent to be a guy that goes out there on Saturday, throws for 350, four touchdowns, just carves up their secondary and has a big day. But is this going to be the game where it happens? You know, obviously he's not take he's not going to Knox on a tough road environment. He's not taking on a top ten defense in Florida. He's not taking on a Georgia defense that's really good. Grand though, he did carve them up early in that game. Um, but is this kind of the game we see Ryan Holinsky return back to form? I think that'll be really interesting to see. And also just keeping an eye on his health. I mean, you know, Will Muschamp can say whatever he wants about you know he's not hurt. We wouldn't play him if he was hurt. Yada yada yada. But there's a lot of people that believe he's still hurt. I mean, you take a look at him and see him kind of hobbling around out there on that knee. He does not look 100%. Not at all. So, you know, what do we see on Saturday? Does he does he look 100%? Does he look like his normal self? 
or is it more of the same from what we've seen? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, another big storyline that's kind of come up this week that I think on the Vanderbilt side of things is interesting is the job status of Derek Mason. Um, it was reported this week that Vanderbilt was supposedly interested in Jeff Fisher, which is hysterical. They'd bring him back to football and especially to college football and to SEC football. Uh, Vanderbilt's AD came out, I believe, the day after and denied all that, all claims, all accusations that they were talking to him or interested or whatever. But Derek Mason's in a very interesting situation at Vanderbilt. They're two and five right now, like I said, one and three in the SEC. You know, the expectations at Vanderbilt aren't aren't anything crazy. I mean, making a bowl game is a huge, huge victory. Um, and it's a program, let's be honest, it doesn't really care about football that much. I mean, you see Vanderbilt at home, every game is a every game is a home game for the visiting team, basically. So, but, you know, Derek Mason, obviously been there a while. I believe he's, he's in his sixth year. He's in his sixth year there. And, you know, I, the one that's really hurting him, like I said, is that loss at home to UNLV. But, this is the type of game for a Derek Mason, just looking at things from the Vanderbilt side of things. This is the type of game that I think Vanderbilt fans want to see him win. That could kind of turn the tide in his favor in regards to solidifying that he is the guy in Nashville. He's going to be the guy to lead their program. I mean, obviously, South Carolina, we want to see South Carolina win this football game. And if Derek Mason gets fired, that really ain't our problem. But from the Vanderbilt side of things, just his job status to me is very interesting and you know, just with the rumors and the talk, how does that affect him? How does that affect the Vanderbilt football team? Are they distracted? Are they more fired up to play for their head coach? I think that'll be something interesting to keep an eye on. Um, another storyline for me. I, I think this is going to be a real challenge for the USC defense. I, I really do, and I hate to say that. But, you know, I talked about how does USC respond and bounce back. Man, what does this South Carolina defense do? Uh, what does this South Carolina defense do after getting embarrassed against Tennessee. I mean, you take a look. Vanderbilt's got some playmakers. You got Riley Neal at quarterback, Keyshawn Vaughn at running back, Kalijah Lipscomb at wide receiver, Jared Pinckney at tight end. There are some playmakers on that Vanderbilt offense. There are some guys. uh, Keyshawn Vaughn, by the way, one of the best running backs in the SEC nobody talks about. Kalijah Lipscomb, big-time playmaker. Jared Pinckney, a nightmare, a matchup nightmare, annoying as hell to guard and to cover. The Gamecocks defense has got to step up. I, you, how do you respond from getting your teeth kicked in in Knoxville? The Gamecocks defense has got to respond, and it's going to be a tough challenge in my opinion. I think Vanderbilt's going to get their yards and they're going to get their points until I see different from this Gamecocks defense. And I, it's, I know I sound crazy because a couple weeks ago I said I'm a believer in this South Carolina defense. I'm a believer in this Gamecocks defense. And then they go to Tennessee and lay an egg. So I don't know what to think necessarily about this South Carolina defense. It's Jekyll and Hyde right now. What do we see on Saturday? Do we see a team, not just a team, but like I said, this defense, are we going to see the good version or the bad version? Because, again, Vanderbilt's got guys that if we do not come out ready to play, they will make us pay. And I didn't even mean to rhyme there, but it did. But they've got guys that will make us pay if we're not ready to go, just flat out. So guys like, you know, you talk about your leaders, guys like Javon Kinlaw, T.J. Brunson, Hell, J.C. Horn, Israel McQuamu, hell, J.T. Ebay being a senior, he had a terrible game in Knoxville. Those guys have got to step up, man. Those guys have got to step up. And, you know, I'm not saying they're, you know, they're, they're all playing, but everyone's got to rise their level of play and say enough is enough and get back to playing good, hard-nosed South Carolina football on the defensive side. Will it be this week? Again, it's a challenge for them. I'll be interested to see how they handle it. Um, another one for me, another storyline for me, you know, it's funny. It's it gets kind of old saying like this is an important game. This 
listen, they're all important. The next game is the biggest game of the season, for sure. It's the biggest game of the season. But, man, this one – I mean, here's the thing. You are staring right now. The Gamecocks are three and five with four to play. Two of your last four are ranked in App State and Clemson. I mean, this is one – when you talk about – you know, everybody throws around the term must win. And in a lot of cases, it really isn't a must win. But if you're going to make a bowl game, this game is a must win. <laughs> I mean, a must win. There's no other way to put it. There's absolutely no other way to put it. You know, and really, in my opinion, this needs to be a statement game for South Carolina. And I think this game will honestly tell you a lot about the, how the last four games of the season will go especially if South Carolina plays bad. I think it's going to tell you a lot. I really do. I mean, South Carolina doesn't just need to go out and win. They need to win in style. They need to win convincingly. You need, I mean, this, this feels like almost like Kentucky all over again in the sense of, like, South Carolina needs to come out and kind of do what it did against Kentucky and just win in convincing fashion. They really do. Um, you know, because, again, coming off the loss to Tennessee, you know, I know you hung in there with Florida, but you lost to them. You know, you had some good momentum after Georgia, and you, and you lost it. Now you got to try to get it back. Now you got to try to get some good, some good juju going. Make the fan base feel good again. Hell, make your own team, make yourselves feel good again if you're the team. So I, I, I just, it's a must win. That's a no brainer. But to me, this could be a statement game. I, I think this is a statement game. South Carolina needs to come out on Saturday night. Saturday night, know it's the better football team. Just know off the jump, it is the better football team, and play like it for four quarters. That's what needs to happen. The offensive identity, the play calling, another huge storyline in this one. I, I just think, you know, after what's been a couple rough weeks for Brian McClendon and this offensive staff and, you know, simply put, what does this offense look like Saturday night? I mean, it's South Carolina, you know, I, I thought that the Gamecocks had found their identity. I thought USC had found their identity, you know, run the football and uh, play hard-nosed football, you know, run it. Run it, run it, run it, run it, and throw it when you need to. Play action, whatever. I thought we saw a complete switch-up of that in Knoxville. I thought South Carolina abandoned the run early. Um, they finally got back to it, but it felt like they kind of abandoned it early. And then Ryan Holinsky, what, he threw the ball over 50 times. You're not going to win doing that. You're not going to win doing that. So, what's the offensive identity like? But more importantly, I mean, what is the play calling like? Because I can tell you right now, and it's unfortunate, but if South Carolina comes out and looks clueless on offense – to start this game, the Boo Birds will be out. I mean, most – I think a lot of South Carolina football nation right now is pretty upset with Brian McClendon and the play calling and how things have been going. What is the – what is the one, the game plan, the identity, and what's the play calling like? Can we see an offense that has some imaginative play calling that's not bland, that doesn't get down to the goal line and call the same play three times in a row? What will the play calling be like on Saturday? That's, that's, I know that's something that South Carolina fans are going to be keeping – a very, very, very close eye on for sure. Um, last storyline, then we'll get into some key matchups, keys to the game, all that good stuff. My last storyline in this one is just the win streak. I mean, does the win streak continue on Saturday night? Because, again, it's, it's, it's kind of wild when you think about it. I mean, the Gamecocks have won 10 straight in this series, going for their 11th straight. Like I said, even when, you know, even when we were down in 2015, a 3-9 and nine football team, and, you know, some of these other teams that, I, I mean – you think of some of the games, how close they were. I mean, the last time South Carolina lost to Vanderbilt was 2007 at their place. So, 
it's been a long time. It's been a, and like I said, Vanderbilt has played some really good games against South Carolina. I mean, we just put up the highlight uh, Wednesday morning, you know, of Elliot Elliot Fry hitting the game winner in Nashville, Will Muschamp's first game. And I mean, you know, I mean, there have been some very tight games in this series, and for South Carolina to have won ten straight, they obviously need to extend it to eleven, but. You know, at some point in some time in history, Vanderbilt's going to beat South Carolina in football. That streak's not going to go on forever. Obviously, it, it needs to, again, it needs to go to 11 this week. But just kind of a crazy streak when you think about it, when you think of all the, the, the you know, ups and downs that South Carolina football has been through, especially with the Spurrier resignation and getting Muschamp in as head coach. And for whatever reason, Gamecocks just have – the Gamecocks just have – Vanderbilt's number. I don't know what it is. Um, let's get into some key matchups to watch here. You know, it's funny. I already talked about a couple of these guys, a couple of these Vanderbilt guys, but I'm going to, you know, obviously bring their names back up because they're worthy of bringing back up for sure. First key matchup to watch, linebacker TJ Brunson against running back Keyshawn Vaughn. I talked about Keyshawn Vaughn from the jump. 703 yards rushing, six touchdowns on the year. Keyshawn Vaughn is a guy, and I expect Vanderbilt to fully re- rely on the run early in this game. Um, Keyshawn Vaughn, again, I think one of the best backs in the SEC, definitely one of the best backs you've probably never heard of, a guy that definitely does not get the credit or the recognition because he plays for Vanderbilt, but a guy who's really shifty, uh, runs the football with toughness, uh, he's got speed, agility, and everything, a very well-rounded running back, and a guy who's a senior, he knows SEC football, he knows how to play in games like these. T.J. Brunson, a guy who's been solid this year, I mean, he's been good for South Carolina, no doubt, but needs to step up and have that senior game, needs to be that senior and that leader, and you know, he's, he's basically going to be going one-on-one with this cat. I mean, he's going to be going one-on-one with him on game. T.J. Brunson, a guy who needs to have a good game, along with the rest of the linebackers, really, but needs to have a good game. Because if Keyshawn Vaughn gets going for Vanderbilt, it could be a long night for the South Carolina defense. Uh, my second key matchup, center Donnell Stanley against the Vanderbilt linebackers. And you're probably asking yourself, why didn't you just pick one player from Vandy? Well, when you take a look at the sack numbers for Vanderbilt, because the offensive line has obviously been a huge issue for South Carolina. Again, Ryan Linsky's been getting beat up back there. The running, you know, run blocking's been solid, but Ryan Linsky's been just getting beat up back there. And you got to think Vanderbilt, especially with Derek Mason being a defensive-minded coach, they're going to scheme up to come after Ryan. I mean, there's just no doubt in my mind. They're going to scheme up to come after Ryan. Um, Andre Mintz for Vanderbilt, three sacks in the season. He leads the team, and Elijah McAllister – Two sacks for the doors, both linebackers. Donnell Stanley, obviously, being at, being at the center position, he's a veteran player, he's a senior. He's the one that makes all the checks, tells the offensive line what to do, who to pick up. He needs to have a very good night. He needs to have a very good night on Saturday because he's going to be the one pointing these guys out, telling them where to go, who to block, whatever. And the Gamecocks need to just play as a unit. You're obviously throwing in freshmen in there, and there's some new guys in there with the injury to Dylan Wanham. And this unit needs to play together, though, and needs to be on the same page and play smart because if they're not – if they're not, we might see Ryan Linsky take some more shots, and South Carolina just cannot afford that right now. So, again, center Donnell Stanley against the Vanderbilt linebackers. And also, I mean, I might as well mention, in the running game as well. I mean, not just the passing game, but in the running game as well. Everyone just knowing their keys, knowing their man, knowing what they need to do, their assignment. You know, Donnell Stanley is kind of the guy that leads that charge. And, again, I know he'll do a good job. He's a senior. He's a guy who's done it many times before. But the offensive line really as an entire unit needs to play better and have a bounce-back game Saturday night. Um, my final key matchup, defensive back J.C. Horn against wide receiver Kalijah Lipscomb. Kalijah Lipscomb, very, very good wide receiver. 377 yards on the season, two touchdowns, the go-to guy 
for the Vanderbilt Commodores through the air. Also a big play guy as well. I think as long as uh, 50 yards this season. So a guy who can definitely make the big play. Uh, he stands at six foot one, 200. Um, you know, this matchup to me, I mean, as good as Lipscomb is, very solid player. This matchup to me comes more down to J.C. Horn. J.C. Horn, it, is this finally the game where he comes out and is J.C. Horn? I mean, guys, I can't believe we're going into the ninth game of the season and J.C. Horn still ain't got a pick. I mean, there's just no way this man can finish two years of school and not have one interception. Because that's in there. I mean, this is, I mean that, this is a guy to me that should be a five or six interception guy per year. I mean, he has that talent. And I know, guys, people really don't throw at him a lot, which is definitely a compliment because he is that type of talent. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't get a lot of balls thrown at him necessarily. But is this the game where you're going up against a guy who, again, this is not going to be the best wide receiver that J.C.'s lined up against, but a very, very capable one, a guy who can make plays. J.C. Horn needs to have a good night. Needs to have a good night to make the Vanderbilt Commodores one-dimensional, you know, to take away the passing game. Vanderbilt's not a great passing team, but Lipscomb is a playmaker who can make you pay if he gets behind you. J.C. Horn, to me, needs to have one of those lockdown type of nights. Need to play, needs to play his best. And really, you know, I picked out J.C., but, man, that entire secondary, that entire secondary's got to play better, including J.C., Got to, I mean, they just they got to play better, man. I, I mean, you got embarrassed last week. You got flat out embarrassed. What do you do? How do you respond? I think it'll be interesting. I think it'll be a fun matchup to watch. I think two guys will definitely play on Sundays uh, in the future. So my key matchups, again, linebacker T.J. Brunson against running back Keyshawn Vaughn, center Donnell Stanley against the Vanderbilt linebackers, and defensive back J.C. Horn against wide receiver Kalijah Lipscomb. Uh, let's go into the keys to the game, then we'll get to the listener questions and our interview for today's show. Uh, keys to the game. My first key to the game, pretty simple. Really, all three are. My first key to the game, though, bring the energy. Bring the energy. Like I said, this is a team coming off a very bad loss, <laughs> a very, very bad loss. There's no other way to sugarcoat it in Knoxville. You know, like I talked about, I think it'll be a really good crowd at Williams-Brice. I think with the night game, with homecoming, like I really do expect – a raucous crowd. This team needs to bring the energy itself. It needs to come out fired up. I know I talked about, you know, it's more important what they do in the second half versus the first half because the second half is where the problems are. Yes and no, because I think you need to come out and start fast again. I, I just do. You don't need to let the Tennessee game beat you twice. Don't let what happened in Knoxville linger in the Saturday night in Columbia. So bring the energy, come out fired up, Come out ready to play. Come out with an edge, a chip on your shoulder. Play with an attitude. I think that'll be really important in Saturday night's game. My second key to the game, find an offensive rhythm. Find an offensive rhythm. I mean, whatever it is, the play calling gets better. Ryan gets better. The blocking gets better. Everyone gets better. I don't know, but find an offensive rhythm. This, you know, it's just since the Florida game, it just really felt like this offense has no flow to it whatsoever, you know? And, I mean, I think this is a game where you're going to need to score points. Like I said, Vanderbilt's got some, got some playmakers. They got some guys. You're going to need to score points. No question. I mean, I think South Carolina needs to score, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to see them come out and score over 30. I'm not saying they're going to need that much to win, but you also don't want to win this game by three points, do you? So, I mean, 
The Gamecocks need to come out, score points, find an offensive rhythm, get in some type of flow, and kind of just have a, have, a, have a clue, have a plan out there. Have a plan. Really the biggest thing. So find an offensive rhythm, my second key to the game. My final key to the game here. And again, I told you guys, these are pretty simple, but very important. And that's protect the football. South Carolina's got to protect the football. They did not do a good job of it in Knoxville. You got a punt blocked. Um, you know, a couple other turnovers. Or not, no, actually, no other turnovers, just a punt block. But in a game like this, where you are a 16, we're a 16, 15 and a half point favorite, over a two touchdown favorite. The biggest thing, and you saw it in Athens, the biggest thing that'll bring an underdog into the game is if you get sloppy with the football and turn it over. Protect the football, take care of the football. Like Lou Holtz used to say, we want every possession to end in a kick. Every possession should end in a kick. If South Carolina can do that, I don't think this game, you know, and I'm, get, I'm not going to give away my predictions. I'm going to give you guys my prediction uh, on Friday's show. But if South Carolina can protect the football, you know, I don't think there should be any issues as far as being able to secure a win Saturday, Saturday night at Columbia. You start turning the football over, though, you get sloppy, you give an underdog like Vanderbilt momentum, make them feel like they have a chance to win the football game, especially if they make it a fourth quarter game. You have inserted yourself into a dogfight. So, again, my three keys to the game. Bring the energy. Find an offensive rhythm and protect the football. Pretty simple stuff. All right. Let's get into the listener questions. One thing I want to say, my apologies, guys. I got the uh, I got the question link or whatever out kind of late. So if you have more questions, I will answer them. I do apologize, though. It clicked at like Wednesday morning. I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't put up the questions last night. So anyways, we still do have some questions. Uh, we'll run through these really quickly. But like I said, if you've got any others, we'll certainly uh, – I'll be certainly sure to address those. Uh, let's start with South underscore Carolina underscore four underscore life. Do you think we can get into a bowl game? I mean, I certainly think it's possible. You've got to win three of your last four. I mean, you think South Carolina is going to beat Vanderbilt. You know, App State is a game that, you know, some of you on social media want to give me crap for saying I'm worried about. This is a ranked team. I mean, App State's a ranked team. So, you know, I still feel like, as a, you know, it's a game where you expect to win. I mean, just bottom line, it's a Sun Belt team. I know App State's got talent. You can win that one for sure, a night game at home. That's certainly winnable, more than winnable. Um, but then you've got to go to College Station and win. I mean, period. Because I, I'm not – listen, I, I'm not going to sit here and get my hopes up that you're going to beat Clemson at home. I'm sorry. I'm just – I'm not doing it. I'm not doing that yet. Um, but you've got to go to College Station and win. So, is it possible? Do I think it could happen? Sure. But Carolina's got to play a lot better. I mean, there's just no other, no other way to put it. But right now, if I had to guess, to be completely honest with you, I think the Gamecocks finished five and seven. I, I, I don't see it happening. And I, I think, honestly, between App State and A&M, I, unfortunately, I think Carolina probably splits them. I do. So, uh, SC Ziffy underscore. Love Holinsky, but are we ever going to see Joiner? That's a great question. I think the hamstring's been bothering him because I had the same question. And, you know, we got to give credit just how, how sensitive that hamstring was. But, yeah, I mean, it's, if he's ready to go, which he said this week he feels as good as he's felt and he should be ready to play Saturday – I'd love to see him out there, especially if the offensive woes continue. Why not switch it up, throw out a wrinkle, just do something different, man. Just do something different to change it up. Um, Max Schufo, is our offensive line or secondary the worst part of the team? I mean, I think right now it's the secondary, man. And the reason I say that is because the offensive line, the biggest thing in the offensive line is you have the injuries. I mean, the injury to Dylan Wanham 
was a much bigger deal than everybody gave it credit for. But this secondary, I mean, these are the these were supposed to be your dudes. And I'm in shock. I'm in shock how bad they've played. The safety position is terrible. It is terrible. Let's not sugarcoat it. The safety position's been bad. So I think the secondary, and honestly, I'm shocked that I'm saying that at this point in the season. Uh, JB Gary underscore zero six zero three score prediction. Tune in to Friday's show. Tune in tomorrow's show. I will have my score prediction. Uh, last one, Mister underscore Incredible zero one. If Muschamp somehow is fired, would you rather get Urban Meyer or an unknown guy? It's a great question. Me, I'd rather go for an unknown. I'd rather go for a smaller guy. Listen, I don't want to wash out from another big school. And and Urban Meyer, I mean, look, Urban Meyer brings a lot of drama and issues that go beyond football, right? I mean, I think we all know without me rehashing what happened at Ohio State. But I'd rather go after a young guy like a Mike Norvell, uh, like a coordinator in another school, a small school, like a uh, – God, his name slipped my mind, but the head coach at Iowa State, too, Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell at Iowa State. Like, give a guy – give a young – give a young offensive mind – who can recruit, the opportunity to come in and make South Carolina his own. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want another washout from another school. Don't give me somebody else that failed in another school. Don't do that. So, you know, and I, to be honest, as sad as it is, because here's the thing, if we did if we did hire Urban Meyer, I mean, heck, I'd be on board. I mean, the dude's a winner. Like, he's a scumbag, but he's a winner. But the sad thing is, is our board and our, our the, all the old school Carolina money that really probably impacts those decisions, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it out of just pure stupid pride or whatever it is, some moral higher ground they're sitting on. They wouldn't do it. So it ain't going to happen, my man, unfortunately. Uh, all right, got a fantastic interview. Former Gamecocks defensive lineman Eric Sullivan. Eric played for the Gamecocks from 92 to 95, was on that team in 1994 that won the 95 CarQuest Bowl, the first year of bowl win in school history. We had a phenomenal conversation. Eric, a great dude, uh, very knowledgeable, obviously, the game of football, and a dude that – just a genuinely good human being. Had a fantastic – we've had some great interviews this week, man. We've had some great interviews this week. They're always great. But, man, these two, two just really humble guys, two really good people, not just football players. So, can't wait for you guys to tune in. Listen to this interview. It's all brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. Guys, if you need tickets to Saturday night's game, it's homecoming. It's a night game. App State's a night game. Why would you miss either game? If you need tickets to those games, though – down to SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to get $20 off your first purchase. Guys, I talked about it. I was looking at the SeatGeek app a little bit earlier. The tickets already aren't that expensive. Then you're going to get $20 off. You're pretty much going for free. You're welcome. You're pretty much going for free. Why not do it? You can get tickets to, obviously, South Carolina Gamecock sporting events, basketball season literally starting next week, which I meant to mention We'll have a full basketball preview on this show next Tuesday. Um, I know the Gamecocks ex- exhibition Wednesday night. Uh, I'm recording this before that exhibition, so we'll have a full recap on social media and everything, but not on the podcast. But, um, heck, may even throw it on Friday's show. Who knows? But either way, we'll have a full season preview on Tuesday of next week that I'm very excited about. We did drop a season preview today on our website as well, thespursupshow.com. My good friend Noah Pathea was able to put it together. He did a fantastic job with that. But um, – but, no, basketball season. If you need your tickets, whether it's Gamecocks football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy club events, NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, whatever you need tickets to, literally anything and everything, they're going to have it. 
use our friends at SeatGeek. They got a great ticket rating system where they rate the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So, I mean, when you're in there, they're doing all the work for you. They're showing you exactly, hey, this is what you're paying. This is where you're sitting. And this is the type of deal it is. You're either getting ripped off. You're, you're getting a steal on these tickets. So you're going to have that peace of mind before you click the buy button. You know that you're getting the best bang for your buck. So again, that's our friends over at SeatGeek. Go down the SeatGeek app. Go to SeatGeek.com. That's S-E-A-T-G-E-E-K.com. Use that promo code SPURSUP, S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks defensive lineman, Eric Sullivan. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 1992 to 1995. During his career, he had 157 career tackles, 16 tackles for loss, 12 sacks. He was named freshman All-SEC in 1992, second team All-SEC in 1995, and team MVP for the Gamecocks. He was also part of the team that helped lead USC to win their first ever bowl game in school history in the CarQuest Bowl against West Virginia. I'm very pleased to welcome the show former Gamecocks defensive lineman Eric Sullivan. Eric, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. No problem, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Eric, I want to kind of go back to the beginning for you. We were just talking off here. You're obviously from a small town in South Carolina, Lawrence, South Carolina, for those that are familiar. And you were a guy that came in as a pretty, pretty highly touted recruit. Just talk about the recruiting process for you. Who did it come down to? And, you know, what made you want to be a Gamecock? Oh, man, I, I enjoyed the recruiting process. I mean, when people talk about these guys now and they, you know, want to, you know, they're just running around getting this and getting that. Yes, they are. And it is a fun time. I mean, everybody treats you like a king. Um, uh, I think I, I narrowed it down pretty early. I had three, um, North Carolina State, Georgia, and South Carolina. Um, Georgia, I think everybody pretty much thought I was going to Georgia, and I probably had one foot in Georgia and one foot on the banana field. But uh, at the end there, I found out they wanted me to play offense, and I didn't want to do that. So I ended up coming to South Carolina instead. Got you. Know, it's funny. I, I touched on just briefly that, you know, you're – as far as you in high school, I mean, you were a very highly decorated recruit. Shrine Bowler, Shrine Bowler Greenville Touchdown Club Defensive Player of the Year in 1991 – Talk about for you the transition from high school to college. I mean, for a guy like you coming in as such a highly touted recruit, and then again, you were freshman all SEC. So I would say the transition was fairly smooth. But how do you feel like your game translated from uh, the high school ranks to SEC football? You know, it, it's actually it, it's very tough. Um, people, you know, people always say, "Man, such and such had a freshman and they came in and played early, and such and such has a freshman and they." They're playing early. Why can't our freshman play early? And I say, well, it's not all the same. Um, mm. Even being, you know, highly recruited, I was uh, mostly an inside linebacker, offensive lineman. Um, but I knew at some point I was going back to defensive line because I, I like to eat. So, <laughs> um, but uh, it, it was, it was, it was different. Um, my very first game, I basically stood on the sideline and watched Garrison Hurst run a track meet on us. Um, so. Uh, <laughs> You know, standing over there and you're full of energy and, you know, I'm used to not coming off the field. I mean, in high school, I was offensive guard, inside linebacker, punt team, whatever special teams I did until I felt like I couldn't do them anymore and coach you put somebody else in there. So, you know, to come to where you got to stand on the sideline, be a backup, um, it's, it's a different process and you have to kind of learn to shift your mindset a little bit. And I think that's the part that people miss is that a lot of these guys, um, it's not that they flame out or whatever. Some of them can't handle not being in that spotlight. And, mm. you know, you have to switch your mindset because guess what? Now everybody there is as good as you. So, 
For sure. So I think something really interesting about the time you came to Carolina, Eric, is that South Carolina had just joined the SEC uh, mm-hmm. in, in 1992. Talk, talk about, you know, how much, I guess, how much of that went into your decision. I guess how exciting was that coming to South Carolina at such a, you know, such a time where, I mean, you know, getting in the SEC was a huge deal for the university. Yeah, and that, that was really a, a big part of, of South Carolina, you know, being on my radar. I mean, they did recruit me relentlessly, um, but it was really a big part of them being on my radar was the people that I met while I was down there, um, guys I'm still friends with now. But then it was, you know, going into the SEC, big boy football. You know, at that time it was, you know, Florida, Tennessee, Georgia were, you know, real high in the rankings. They had all the talent. Alabama was – I think they were floundering. No, that, they were still good in 92. Mm-hmm. I remember playing them. Uh, they had the two – they had the defensive line that could pretty much beat anybody. But, uh, yeah, it was just different. I mean, that, that, that was a – it was a really exciting time. And, you know, that level of competition. And, and our team really wasn't, to be honest with you, built to be in that league at that point in time. But, right. you know, our, our, first, our first team, you know, our first – I'd say our first team and probably most of our second team, and we got there and play with anybody. But, you know, we just started – you know, losing it down the stretch because we didn't have enough bodies and depth to keep up with those guys. Yeah, that, that 92 season was really interesting, Eric. You came in with a guy uh, pretty highly regarded and pretty well-known himself and former Gamecock, Gamecocks quarterback Steve Tannehill. Uh, and that 92 season, again, you guys began the season 0-5. Steve Tannehill assumes the quarterback position. You win five the last six. Just talk about your former teammate. I mean, what was the spark that he brought to you guys' team in that 92 season and obviously for the rest of his career? Man, Steve just has this this mentality that, you know, if you're around him, you're going to do good things. I mean, it just – and it wasn't – you know, the team didn't change. You know, there was a few things. I, li- I like to give him a hard time and tell him it wasn't him that changed around him <laughs> me because our freshman year, that game was the first game that both of us started as a freshman. Um, and so I, I like to give him a hard time and tell him he didn't have nothing to do with it, but it was all <laughs> me. But, I mean, um, you know, you, you watch Steve play. He, he, he wasn't – fastest guy you know he, he couldn't throw the prettiest ball but he knows football and he has this this, this leadership quality that just makes people want to perform around him I mean he went through the high school football ranks in South Carolina and everywhere he went I mean he was winning he was in Greenwood with eight-man ball and they were trying to run him out of the league because <laughs> he was scoring too many points on people you know but he just has that that aura about him you know he just it rubs off on you and you just, you know, even if it's just having fun, you just want to, you want to have as much as you can because, you know, hey, he's having fun. Let me go have some too. And um, you don't find a lot of people with that leadership quality that can, that can just immediately, you know, change a team just by being out there and say, hey, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go do this right now. Ain't nobody can stop us. Let's go. For sure. Believe it. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. I I thought something really interesting, Eric, about your career. I was taking a look. That 92 season – um, when you were freshman on SEC, you played defensive end, and the rest of your career you were inside. Mm-hmm. You played nose guard, defensive tackle. Uh-huh. Um, I know you said you liked to eat, so I'm sure that had something to do with it. But <laughs> what was the – I guess what was the reasoning for the move inside, and, and do you feel like there was an adjustment for you there, or was it, was it a more natural fit to play inside? Well, I, I had played defensive line, um, you know, early junior high, peewee ball. Coming up in the high school, actually, I started out playing defensive line, and um, moved to linebacker because you know, we we lost a senior linebacker and the coach was like, hey, you know all the calls, so I'm gonna put you back here linebacker and you you know you, you can make all the calls for me. So you know I, I came into Carolina as a linebacker inside linebacker actually. You know, I was about 255 ish when I reported and 
like I said, stood on the sidelines at Georgia game the first time, and um, we had a couple of guys get injured outside linebacker, and Coach came in, and he was like, hey, you know, I know you want to inside, he said, but we can get you out here, get you some playing time. We got some guys injured. We need some bodies. So I was like, all right, can I get on the field? He's like, yeah. I was like, well, let's go. And so I moved over there and <laughs> did that for a game, and then I think a couple of our D tackles, DM, got hurt. And Coach was like, hey, you know, I know you played some line, and, you know, we, we need some extra bodies to move down in the line, and you're getting a little bit of time here, but you get more over here at the you know, defensive line. I was like, all right, whatever, let's go. You know, it's just, I just want to be on the field. I want to play wherever you want to put me, I'm good. So, and that's what we did, and I played, you know, defensive tackle that pretty much my first five games, last half of that first season, and then our nose guard, Cedric Bembry, uh, graduated mm-hmm. that year, and so – I pushed on down to the middle and, and manned that position the rest of the time pretty much until uh, Brad Scott came in. We kind of went to a four-man front more so. Yeah, I think it's interesting for you, too. Like, you you got better, I feel like, every single year, and especially, you know, going to that 95 season where you were second-team All-SEC. Mm-hmm. I mean, you – the sack numbers through the roof. I mean, you had – the most you had in a season was two. You had eight in that 95 season. Where do you feel like your game improved the most just as a football player, as a defensive lineman, over your time at Carolina? Um, just, you know, learning little technique stuff. Uh, Brad Loing was my position coach. Mm-hmm. Um, so oh, yeah. um, everybody familiar with Brad Loing knows, <laughs> you know, how he is. And, I mean, he is a technician. I mean, he taught us. He would have you in the film room watching the offensive lineman's fingers. And, he, and you would know if this guy's fingers, you know, were a certain way in the ground that he wasn't, you know, going a certain direction or that he was coming off the ball or where he's past that. And, I mean, just learning little stuff like that and how to look at film and how to study your opponent a little bit and, mm-hmm. you know, and then just getting out there on the field and, and, you know, he, he's relentless on teaching, you know, you're not going to stay on the ground. You got to get up. You got to, you got to have a flat, got to come off lower than the man in front of you. You got to have your hands inside. I mean, it's just all the little stuff that I sit here and watch linemen and I'm, I cringe and I'm just like, who's teaching <laughs> these guys? Because, you know, but that's that's what he did for us. He taught us how to how to manage the little stuff. And you know, once you once you learn those things, and you know, you put your time in in the weight room, and you get better. And I think going into my senior season, actually, I didn't even play a full season that year. I, mm-hmm. um, I played what was it, ten games or nine and a half? We were doing eleven games back then, I think. Right. Still. And it was, I think, I played. Either nine and a half, it was like nine and a half games, I believe, because I had a heart disorder before that season. Um, I was in the best shape I'd ever been in my life. Um, thanks to Coach Dennis Tripp. And, uh, you know, I was ready to go for my senior year and had that heart disorder me. And I ended up, you know, being out the whole second uh, part of summer school and, and the first couple of games of the year and before I came back. And I was just in such good shape, you know, from that summer that, you know, I was able to still come back and play and have a productive season. Right. So you obviously had two different head coaches while you were at South Carolina, and we're going to get to Brad Scott here shortly. But just talk about Sparky Woods. I mean, what were your first interactions with him? Obviously, I know you played for him uh, for your first two seasons, but what were those first interactions like with him? And I mean, what did you take away from, you know, playing under him? Well, Sparky was, he was probably more of, a, I'd say, um, a player's coach. Uh, he, he was really, you know, a nice guy, good recruiter, um, you know, loved everything, loved everybody. You know, he was the guy that would come around and ask, ask about your mom and ask about your family and ask about your brother. And, you know, he, he was just – he was that guy. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it helps to be that guy when you're coaching and, and managing. 
Um, so that that was, I would say, Sparky is the biggest thing I took away from him. I mean, he just, you know, just being in, in tune, you know, with, with, with your team. And, you know, he was that person. And he, he tried to, you know, do everything he could to, you know, make sure you, you felt at home. Um, I kind of felt like that job, you know, and, you know, people might not like me saying that, but I kind of felt like that job got a little too big for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, for sure. So I, I got I got to ask you, being an in-state guy, obviously from Lawrence, South Carolina, the South Carolina Clemson rivalry, I'm sure you're very, very familiar with it, obviously. Uh, oh, yeah. j- just talk about your experience in that rivalry. I know it was kind of interesting when you were there because it seemed like the road team had the had the home team's number for whatever reason. It, the, the road team mm-hmm. won. It felt like every game when you were there. But just talk about your experience in that Carolina Clemson rivalry, and you know what, what you what you you know when you look back on it now. I mean, what did it mean to you then as a player, and then now as someone that's like a, a you know an avid fan and watcher of the Gamecocks? You know, it's, it's kind of it's kind of just like having your brother over there that you compete against all the time, and you know he gets you sometimes, you get him sometimes, and um, you know there's a whole lot of a whole lot of rough rough stuff in between, uh, you know, while you're out there playing. But, you know, at the end of the day, when you come off the field, I mean, you know, you, you respect those guys. They respect you. We had, you know, fun times with Clemson players and, you know, know a lot of them. Uh, got some of them now. We go back and forth and we jab. But, I mean, it, it is, you know, people like talk about all the rivalries around the country. And I, I, I watch all this stuff and I see what people talk about and I'm like, yeah, but it, I don't think it could be any, any, any better than Carolina Clemson. I mean, I worked for Simtops for five years, driving around in a truck and, and, in Columbia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, I ran into everybody. So I ran into Clemson people. I ran into Carolina people. And as much hell as we gave each other, <laughs> at the end of the day, we all helped each other. I mean, I've had Clemson people help me in jobs and connections and stuff like that because, you know, like I said, it's, it's a game. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you have fun with it. And, yeah, I hate them. <laughs> I hate <laughs> orange. I won't wear it to this day. I, and, but for me, it's even deeper because – you know, I was raised in that state. Lawrence is a stone throw from Clemson. So, um, you know, our high school was the Lawrence Junior High Tigers. I wore orange with a tiger paw on my helmet in high school. Um, and I got family that, that went to Clemson, family that loves Clemson. I mean, we go back and forth all the time. I got one of my cousins, probably if he hears this, he'll be, you know, tapping me saying something. But, uh, you know, we, we go back and forth all the time. So, I mean, it's not just, you know, a football game. You got family stuff going on and, uh, it, it's, a, it's a wild time, man. It, it's enjoyable, but it's a wild time. Do you have a favorite memory from the uh, your days playing in the Carolina Clemson rivalry? Because I know 92, you guys got the win, 24-13. 94, you guys really crushed them, though. I mean, 33-7, to never even close. I mean, is there a uh, a moment that sticks out for you in the Carolina Clemson game that uh, is your favorite memory from those two? So, we, we uh, you know, it was – there was no internet and – you know, no social media, so I couldn't just get on and talk junk with the, you know, the players <laughs> from a certain team like these guys do right. now. But um, somehow we still managed to make contact uh, with people. I, I remember um, before we went up and played Clemson, Brenton Buckner uh, and those guys had gotten Steve Tannehill's phone number some kind of way. And so they were they were calling, giving him a hard time, and I think they found out the room number at the hotel. And, I mean, it was just – just all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Um, but that year we went up there and we, uh, I can't remember who said it, um, but somebody was like, when we leave here, we're going to take all that orange crap out the middle of the field and throw it in like them. So it was like immediately when the game was over, 
a bunch of guys ran to us in the field and just started kicking the tiger paw. And everybody just kind of looked at them, and all, we all did it. And we went in with handfuls of orange dirt, and that's what was in that locker room when we left. And that was that was probably the wildest moment I remember in the Clemson game. <laughs> that is awesome. So that 94 season, let's just go ahead and talk about it, obviously. That that was a special year. Um, you guys go 7-5 and five overall, but really what sticks out, obviously – is the CarQuest Bowl, the 95 CarQuest Bowl against West Virginia. You guys get the win 24-21, and obviously the significance, the first ever bowl win in South Carolina history. You know, I'm sure to be in that moment, it was really special, but to be remembered as a guy that was on that team that helped lead South Carolina to the first ever bowl win in school history, I mean, just talk about what does that mean to you? Yeah, I mean, it's just something that never goes away. I mean, I, I don't care what bowl it was and how small it, people want to try to make it seem. It was the very first win. I mean, that program had been to many of them, but it was the first one that we actually brought back a win. And, you know, when we left to go to that game, it was in Miami, and we, we left to go down there, and we were like, we're not coming back without a win. I mean, that's just, that's just what it was. But, yeah, but to have that and, you know, be remembered, get to come back and do the, you know, special things with the team. And when people talk to you, you know, oh, you were on that first team that won a ball game. I mean, that's it's something special and it can't ever be taken away. So, I mean, that's obviously something you, you cherish and hold on to. No doubt. Like, like I talked about, the uh, going in the 94 season, obviously, Sparky Woods relieved of his duties. Brad Scott gets the job. What was the transition like for you? Because I know you talked about you guys went to a four-man front. Obviously, I know schematically, <clears throat> schematically there were going to be changes. But just from a culture standpoint, you know, him being the head coach, what was the transition like for you? Uh, it was it was tougher. Uh, it was, it was a, he came in, and of course, you know, anytime you come in on guys that you know you didn't recruit, um, he came in as a heavy disciplinarian. Um, you know, just, just want to change everything that we did. And we, and I get that. I mean, we weren't, you know, any type of successful or anything at that point. But, I mean, we, you know, we had some good players. We've won some games. And, you know, and it, just just coming in with the, the heavy-handed disciplinary and the switching up of, of, of schemes, um, you know, for us, you had to learn a whole new scheme. You had to – they wanted to change our body types. I mean, I was probably – when he got there, I was probably running in the 285-ish range. Mm -hmm. uh, I think by the time we hit camp, I was 265. Mm. And I, I had to beg Coach Lowen to let me gain ten pounds back because I just felt <laughs> so so light being down in the middle. Uh, and I mean, it was just it was just a whole philosophy change. I mean, we went from on defensive line went from basically a you know fill the gap and um you know stand your guy up and and hold the gap to mm. penetrate and cause havoc. You know, and it's it's a different whole different mindset when you when you do that. I know in that '95 season for you, Eric. You know, you were obviously it all kind of clicked. All SEC second team, Steve Wadiak MVP or team MVP for South Carolina. Was it anything in your game specifically? Was it a light bulb just clicked for you? I mean, did you just get, did you just get more opportunities? Was it the scheme? Like, what was the thing that clicked for you that led? Because like I said, I mean, you were a guy that most sacks you'd had a season was two, and then all of a sudden you jump up eight sacks. You had 50 total tackles, four tackles for loss. I mean, a really, really good year. Um, what was it in 95 that, like I said, just made it click for you? Um. More or less, just I, I knew it was with my last year. Um, it, was, it was the first time that I actually stayed both sessions of summer school um, to work and work out and, and make sure I stayed in, you know, the best shape I could. You know, a lot of times I go home and, you know, you, you go home and you do what you do at home. You work out, but you, you go out with your friends and you eat bad food and do all the other <laughs> stuff. And so I, it was just making a decision that, hey, look, okay, this is my last go around. So. Um, you know, let me put everything I got into this to, to see if we can, uh, you know, push to that next level. 
Which of those two accolades do you value more, the All-SEC second team honoree or the, uh, the Steve Wadiak team MVP? Ooh. Um, you know, the, the All-SEC um, is, is a big one because, of course, it, it is your conference. But, mm. um, you know, I think that Steve Wadiak, too, just for the fact that it's, it's, it's your team. You know, it was, it was you go through spring and, and they recognize that you, you, you did good things, you know, and then you have good seasons, you had good seasons. And, you know, winning that award, and it's a team award to me, it's because I'm a Gamecock. I mean, that to me is just, you know, those, those are ultimate things when your team recognizes you for doing stuff. I mean, of course, you know, you're in the conference and you're playing against other people and, you know, they, that's, that's, a, that's a nice, great respect as well, but to have your, your, your teammates feel that way about you as well. I mean, and then your, your coaches, that's, it's a difference. So I think that one was probably a little bit more for me than mm-hmm. the SEC honors, even though, you know, people say, well, that's what you want to do, make the all-conference teams <laughs> and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I got it. No, I, I, I was just asking because I, I think it's really cool to be honored as far as team MVP and, like, looked upon, have the respect of your peers and be looked at as that guy in the locker room. I think I, that, that's a pretty cool thing in my opinion. I, I would say so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I definitely – I have that um, – Right over here, we actually uh, in my basement. I got a little curio cabinet down here, and I've got that plaque and some other mm-hmm. ones in here. For sure. So I, I want to talk to you now, Eric. Kind of switch gears a little bit. Talk about the uh, the current state of Gamecock football. Obviously, I know we we have some interactions on Facebook and all that. And obviously, oh, everybody yeah. does on social media and everything. And it's it's a very interesting time right now in uh, for South Carolina football. But just kind of talk about again. The 2019 season has been uh, crazy. I think that's putting it lightly, but just. Talk about sort of because a lot, you know, obviously happened after you left South Carolina with Lou Holt, Steve Spurrier, Spurrier taking the program to heights they've never seen. Now Will Muschamp in year four doing his best to build out the program and get it back to that level. But when you look at the current state of Gamecock football, um, j- just talk about what do you see, you know, not just this 2019 season, but, you know, from a program standpoint, what do you see overall? Yeah, from an overall program standpoint, I mean, you, you can see that there's progression. Um, of course, facility-wise, there's been major upgrades. Um, you know, and then player-wise, from, you know, the time that Mustang has come in, I think the overall players have upgraded uh, as mm. far as talent-wise and definitely depth-wise. Um, still got some positions that we got to <laughs> gotta sure up, um, especially in the secondary and um, – you know, a quarterback play a little bit. I think we have some talent there. That position is just, you know, getting that consistent play. Mm-hmm. Um, but from an overall standpoint, I mean, I, I think the program is is progressing in the right direction. And now at this point, I think it's just deciding, you know, do we have the right leadership in place to do that? And if we do, then, okay, what do we need to do to move forward with it? Right. And if we don't, then what do we need to do to change it? So, um I think that's kind of where it's sitting right now from my point of view. Right. It's funny. You talk about the facilities. I was going to ask you, could, I'm sure you can't even like fathom what the guys have now with like the indoor facility and the operations building and none, none of that. And even just, you know, recent as 10 years ago, there was none of that at South Carolina. Yeah. It was funny. Um, you talking about Facebook, but, uh, so there was a, uh, um, Someone made uh, Rick Sandage's mom, Keisha, made a mm-hmm. Facebook post the other day, and it was it was about uh, ramen noodles. I think her husband had made like some ramen noodles or something, and <laughs> it was some different sauce or whatever. And she was saying yuck, and so like, I was like, "Hey, look, we didn't have that gourmet uh, that <laughs> big nutrition gourmet facility. kitchen over there with them guys eating nutrition facilities and stuff." I was like, "I lived on these things." I said, "Give me some 
give me some salad shrimp or make a sauce with some chicken in there or something, some sauce. I've made some gourmet ramen noodle dishes. So, I mean, but no, that, that facility-wise, man, that, 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 that's game-changing. Yeah. You know, a lot of guys, they look at, you know, they say, man, these guys look like they're just, you know, chiseled now and guys and, and man, we got players that look like athletes now. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, when you got, you know, you can go in there and sit down and cook whatever your steak and, you know, go over here and then make your protein shake. And then, you you know, and then you got all the cryotherapy and, and state of the art weight right. room and stuff right there. I look, it's not hard. I mean, those guys go over there and they, they're there. Mm. And, you know, we were in the dorm, you know, we're in the dorm sitting around <laughs> doing whatever, playing video games, you know, eating pizza or whatever the case might be. And, you know, they're over there and, got an arcade and studios <laughs> and you know they're over there all day just lounging around and hey i'm gonna lift a little weights for 30 40 minutes you know i right. mean it makes it easier to, to do the things you need to do to be successful yeah it, it's a game changer no doubt it's a game changer oh, yeah, i i, I want to ask you because i think one thing that will muschamp's done a good job of i will say is that um i don't i don't know if it was the spring game i, I saw a picture i think you were at the spring game when they welcomed a lot of the mm-hmm. alumni back just just yeah. talk about kind of what the what that's been like for the alumni kind of being welcomed back I feel like USC is doing a lot better job of that I think you know they could do an even better job because you know I'll just tell you Eric one of my favorite things is kind of bringing on Gamecocks that maybe fans have not necessarily forgotten about but maybe sort of lost in the shuffle or guys like yourself that played you know it was a while ago when they played just getting that recognition but I think USC is doing a good job as far as getting the alumni back you know they've got the murals and the meeting rooms and the uh in the operations facility, but just talk about what you've seen as a former Gamecock football player, as an alumni, what that welcoming back has been like. You know, any, any time that, you know, people recognize, you know, what your contribution was and, you know, allow you to have not just access, but just to be around, you know, the facilities and the team and, you know, just, just to be able to, to still be a part of it, then, you know, that, that means a lot. Um, and I think, uh, was it, was it under Muschamp, I think, when we did the 25th? Or maybe that may have been Spurrier that did that. I think that was Spurrier that did the, did the 20th anniversary of our of our win. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, there was stuff being done before, but it seems like, I think because Muschamp is probably, he, well, definitely is close to my age because I played against him in Georgia. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think he understands more of that. Um, and I think there's a lot more that needs to be done. I think that the what happens is that the, the the more current players, like you said, because they're known, people know their names, and some of the people were still in the building from when they were there. It's easier for them to, you know, just walk up and say, hey, you know, hey, give me a ticket, let me in the game or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. let me talk to the players or whatever. And they say, oh, yeah, sure, come on, you're so-and-so, I know you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, me walking up, I think there's maybe, let's see, now at this point, maybe one, two people. <laughs> that I know for sure that I can walk up to that facility and they'll know who exactly who I am right off the bat, you know, without me having to say, yeah, I'm Eric Sullivan. And oh yeah, I've seen your name, you know, but some, I can just walk up and they can just say, Hey, you know, and they know who I am. There's maybe two people still there that can do that. So, right. you know, just, just when you allow us to come back around and have these events and get to meet people and then it allows them to kind of get to know us and then allows us to have a platform to kind of get involved more. Yeah, I think it's really important to recognize your history because I'm a big believer you can't go forward without kind of at least, you know, acknowledging the people that laid the foundation. You know, it's, it's a foundation. Yeah. I mean, it couldn't have happened have without to. those people before you. Yeah, you have to. And like you said, there's a, there's a lot more that needs to be done. I mean, when I look at – when I talk to some of the guys that played for you know, the Clemsons and the Georgias and the Floridas that I know, I mean, 
there's a lot that we still need to do um, right. as far as like bringing back former players. And I, you know, I'm a firm believer that I think that one of our biggest issues as a as a football team is that we don't have enough, you know, former players that are coaching on staff. I mean, I, I really believe that. I mean, I think it makes a difference when you have those guys around. I mean, the first, I think the first few years of Must Champ, I mean, I think there was maybe four or five guys at least. You know, I know mm-hmm. Fred Williams was there for a while. Corey Jenkins was there for a while. Uh, Byron Gerardu, um, Shaq Wilson. You know, it was, it was, it was a yeah, nice yeah, stretch of guys that were there that played, you know, and it's, it's a difference when you're there because those guys gravitate towards you. Mm-hmm. And they, they listen to you a little more and they respect you a little more because you were a Carolina football player. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say is that it kind of, you know, I, I'm not, I'm sure you watched the Tennessee game, but it's, it's kind of, it's kind of gut wrenching to see Byron Jarrett and Shaq Wilson on the Tennessee sideline. It's like those guys played for uh, Carolina. Yeah. I mean, it just, that's kind of, not, not to mention you got Chris Rump over there too. Right. It's just, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's kind of a tough pill to, my, my roommate, and then they, so. and then they win the game. So it's, it's exactly, even exactly. more of a tough pill to swallow. But, uh, um, I'm, I'm going to get you out of here, Eric, but lastly, before I let you go, I want to ask you, obviously you had a lot of great memories at South Carolina and Garnet and Black, but if you had to narrow it down to one, uh, what would you say was your favorite memory as a Gamecock? Ooh. Yeah, honestly, I don't know if I can narrow it down to one memory, um, simply because my favorite part of being a Gamecock is my brothers. Um, we, we all still associate, and I've been sitting here all morning, I'm not going to get to make it down to homecoming this weekend, but basically for the last four or five days, there's been constant text and stuff going back, back and forth over different platforms about, you know, getting together for homecoming and who's coming and who's not. So I, I think memory-wise, there will be too many of them because my the biggest part about being a Gamecock is my brothers. Um, and and that, that's over, that stretches over years. I'm on, I'm on former player chats with guys from, uh, from the 80s up to the 2000s. So, I mean, it truly is a brotherhood. You know, people say, would you have changed your mind and went to Georgia if you could go back now? Um, not knowing what I know now and the, the people that I've met and, the, you know, the friendships that I made, um, you know, it, it was all worth it. For sure. Actually, last question. Is it, it, I feel like it's got to be kind of funny that Will Muschamp is the uh, the head coach at South Carolina when you guys went head-to-head. I mean, you, you got him in 93. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to, you have to give him a little crap yeah. for uh, – because like I said, South Carolina beat him a couple of times while while he was a player at Georgia. You know, and so when I was, I'm, I'm actually in Maryland now, but when I was still in, in South Carolina when he first got there, I actually went out to practice um, a few times because, you know, like I said, they, they do welcome us back. So I actually went out to practice a few times, and I, I did make it known, you know, to him that, that <laughs> hey, we, we, we did come down between the hedges and, and beat y'all. So <laughs> just throwing it out there. That's out awesome. There. That's awesome. Well, Eric, really do appreciate you taking the time, man. You know, I think I speak for all Gamecocks when I say, you know, it was a pleasure uh, to talk with you, to watch you play, to see obviously what you guys did to, I, I think, really contribute and changing the culture at South Carolina. We're getting that first bowl win, which again, led to more and more and more and more. And what we're seeing now with the, the expectations being what they are, uh, that started with you guys. So really appreciate you taking the time, Eric. We'd love to bring you back on and, uh, and talk some ball, obviously. So. No problem, man. Thanks for having me anytime. Just let me know. All right, perfect. So for Eric Sullivan, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on an episode of this video.
everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.